Welcome back to Rising Giants with Max and Dom. Today we have Jussi Salovara on the show. He's the managing partner of Antler, based out of Singapore. Prior to this, he was working at Nokia as well as McKinsey and co-founded Antler. Hope you enjoy the episode. Okay. Well, great. Well, well, uh, Jussie, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I really appreciate um, you coming on. So uh, first of all, you just wanna, we want to get a sense of your background. Um, so if you could just give us a brief introduction about how you got to where you are today and you find, you find yourself in Singapore. For sure. For sure. Happy to. And uh, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure. So, I mean, I, I'm from Finland originally um, and, and I grew up there. Um, apart from studying in London, I, I also spent most of my life there apart from the last three and a half years. Um, so I, I actually started out my career in investments um, where I, I worked at the largest institutional investor in Finland uh, called Varma. It's a pension insurance fund. And I was doing uh, public market stuff, also some private equity uh, uh, type deals. And then, uh, but then I switched paths. I felt like uh, going to that side of, um, you know, the world after studying uh, just left me with having too much of a academic, pure investment uh, profile. And I felt like I need to have a broader business uh, understanding. And, uh, you know, being a young guy at that time, you know, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I ended up being a consultant. So, you know, I, I went to work for McKinsey um, and, uh, and I spent five years there, uh, which gave me a different type of perspective on things and obviously more from the corporate uh, side of things. And it had uh, pros and cons, obviously. Um, again, somewhat of a theoretical understanding uh, of the world uh, but but at least more concrete than you know being on the public markets and all that. Um, and then after five years at McKinsey, I felt like kind of enough's enough. I loved being there, but um, at the same time, I kind of wanted to be closer to uh, action. And I ended up uh, joining Nokia, which is quite common in Finland. Obviously, being Nokia being one of the you know most most or best known companies in Finland. Um, so I had different global product leadership roles and, uh, you know, sorry. <laughs> um, different product leadership. Here we go. Oh, nice. Oh, Max was showing. That is, that is stunning. I remember when I last saw Nokia, I'm a passionate iPhone user, you know? Okay. Um, but so, so I spent uh, a number of years there and then, uh, of course, you know, uh, got to see the ins and outs of a huge corporate at work, which I'd of course seen at McKinsey as well, but this time with, you know, my own accountabilities, large, uh, product organization I was running and, and also some commercial roles. And, and what ended up happening is that I also started doing angel investments, um, on the side and advising some friends and family startups. And, uh, and what ended up happening is I, I was, uh, Effectively, I was really bored at my day job and loved that side hustle stuff. Uh, and then, um, you know, I guess better lucky than good. Uh, an old McKinsey colleague of mine, uh, Magnus Grimeland, we worked together 2011, 2013. He had the idea to build Antler. Uh, so I was in a business trip to Singapore. We met up uh, and Magnus said, hey, you know, I, I have this idea to build the most preeminent platform globally for supporting entrepreneurs and we will invest and, you know, we will help founders build businesses. And I'm like, you know, I'd listen to him for, you know, a few minutes and probably in 30 seconds, I made the emotional decision that, Oh yeah, this is uh, pretty awesome. I want to be on board. And, uh, and then it took me, you know, a few more minutes to, uh, you know, asking questions and uh, communicate that I'm definitely interested. Then it took me a few days to convince my wife. And then, yeah, then here, here we kind of are. So I, I would say that um, I, I got a bit lucky with the timing and I had already been kind of 
approaching a, a, a moment in my life where where some change was needed and uh, the rest is history I'm, I'm i'm i feel super blessed by being given this chance and um you know we just started building and never looked back so this was uh late 17 we really start i moved to singapore uh kind of the early part of 2018 and and then we started building antler and right now we are in um 13 locations on five continents with sort of 10 different funds uh up and running we've invested into 300 companies and we'll be investing into hundreds of more companies every year and you know one of the things that i still want to highlight there is the investment part because for me that's going full circle um i fully appreciate that i do not have or at least at that point in time did not have the right background to be like an uh, a venture capitalist from the point of view of uh sharing my own experience with startups because like uh having been at mckinsey and uh in a corporate is you know as relevant for a startup as uh you know i don't know giving uh, cat food to a horse you know probably not that helpful um but but you know now of course having uh, worked with in singapore and southeast asia we have 90 portfolio companies so having worked with those founders and backed them i think now start to have much more sort of uh relevant experience there so so that's kind of my story in a, in a nutshell and uh and of course looking to have a tremendous impact in the region in the coming years but of course also more more so globally where we want to be in uh i don't know people have different numbers but 30 my, my number is 30 uh, three zero, 30 locations globally. And of course it can even be more than that, uh, where we are end of the day, the, the world, the first choice for anyone wanting to build a business. They, they think of us and they want to partner with us. That's, that's kind of the vision for me. Okay, great. <clears throat> and just following up on that. So Antler is known as sort of pioneering this venture generation venture generation model mm. i wonder how much do you think that that model has been influenced from like some of the founders coming from um mckinsey and and coming off that i guess sense that human capital as a consultant is a very important thing in, in any business and finding the right people yeah i think you know that background influenced us in a couple of ways one was that we we said from day zero that you know, we want to build a global platform because that will allow us to support uh, founders, give them, you know, just reap all the network benefits there are uh, and, and really just channel sort of maximum amount of help and support we can to every one of the portfolio companies. Uh, so just to give you an example, like we have more than 500 advisors globally and these people have expertise in different fields they have connections etc and it's a tremendous asset for the portfolio company so you know day zero we said okay global company global platform maximum support for founders which is very much also a bit philosophy of, of someone like mckinsey where you know you have this large global advisor network and, and the platform is very valuable and then also the way we approach to the recruiting and um finding people first and, and building from there. That is also, uh, or, or McKinsey and th that type of background has influenced us in how we do that very quantitatively and very rigorously. Uh, but of course, at the end of the day, always assessing kind of the, 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 the human on the, at the, on the, at the you know, other side of the table and understanding their um, unique capabilities, but the, the system we run very rigorously, um, and also some of the way, some of the methodologies of how we interview, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, we've adopted or modified some existing best practices we've uh, observed in the past. But you know, end of the day, um, we, we still build Antler in the best way possible. We we saw fit learning humbly from the industry we operate in. So I, I personally just, I entered this space uh, with the assumption that I know nothing 
and like right now I, I feel like I know something and there's a lot more to learn and of course I knew generically investing and I know generically different things but I think it's always good to have this very humble learning mindset yeah, yeah, I fully agree. I think that's that's one thing. If you ever, if you ever go to a job interview and you ask someone, you know, what what are you reading? What are you? And they say, no, I'm, I'm not really reading anything. It's normally <laughs> it's normally a pretty um, pretty big big turn off. Um, could could you could you quickly clarify, like just just how Antler's uh, model is a bit different to some of the other incubators, and maybe just talk through what venture generation means and how that's um, innovative within the space. No, for sure, I'd love to. So. What we do is we find talented individuals who want to become entrepreneurs and we uh, put them together into a program where typically a hundred of them uh, start on the same day. They form teams, typically of two or three, and they start building a business. Um, now, it might sound like then we, we start from kind of scratch, but you know, it turns out that when you look for uh, talented, um, inspirational people who want to build a company, they also tend to have ideas of what to build. Uh, so, you know, every team would then probably have 10 different ideas they want to start building. And then they start testing out different ideas there. And, you know, over uh, the process we run, we're over, 10 week, over a 10-week period. Uh, they test different ideas, kill different ideas, and then at some point they've kind of narrowed down on what it is they want to build. Um, we then uh, invest into uh, the company, um, the ones we choose to, I mean, and uh, become a minority shareholder. Uh, typically around 10% equity ownership is what we take. And then from there, we, we simply become minority shareholder where we do our absolute best to help the company succeed. And, and this ranges from, you know, uh, helping them with recruiting, helping them with mentorship advice, helping them with their fundraising journey. We organize a demo day for every, every single company we invest in uh, or every single company participates, I mean, and so forth and so forth, right? But, but the, the part that is different is the part where individuals come in and form teams and then start building uh, and this iterative process of you know obviously improving ideas killing ideas it also applies to the team so you know sometimes people start working together they spend a few days together they realize actually it doesn't work they they break up and they start again uh, with a different team and you know, this is something we, of course, also uh, encourage, right? And then we're also open to working with um, existing companies. So, you know, we we do make uh, venture capital investments the same way as every other fund out there um, outside. And uh, we also do sometimes get uh, pre-existing teams into the program where, you know, it's almost the same. It's like a, a few, it, just instead of an individual who wants to start building something, you have a few people who've already know each other and they are quite early in their journey and they just, you know, come in and uh, start working with us and we assign them a coach and, you know, th then we start working together with them. Um, which then leads to this notion that anyone who wants to be a successful tech entrepreneur kind of work with us. So, you know, that's why, uh, hence the vision of uh, wanting to, you know, uh, work with the best entrepreneurs in the world. Okay. Okay, I understand. So, so, I mean, I guess some, the essence of the model is actually not telling, not telling people what to do <laughs> in some regard. No, correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we, we don't tell people um, what to do. We educate them on, on some of the things where they, kind of where, where you in general need to have skills in entrepreneurship and then, you know, depending on um, how well versed they are in that uh, area, we can then go deeper or, you know, uh, just leave it at a bit of a shallower level. Um, so it's quite uh, highly kind of modified based on the, the level of the founders that are in. 
so, you know, when we have our program, we would do some uh, guest lectures on different topics and then people can ask questions. Um, we would uh, bring advisors to talk to different teams on, on different topics where they need um, more knowledge, more support, the sparring partner, et cetera, et cetera. But like, you know, if you look at the profile of the founders, maybe it's good to clarify that as well. Um, on average, we get around people with 10 years, 12 years of uh, work experience. It varies a bit by region. So it's not fresh graduates. It's, it's people who are quite experienced. And this founder matching, co-founder matching element is what attracts um, also more experienced people. So th this typically surprises people when they realize that we have we work with founders who uh, have exits behind them, who have the financial means that they clearly don't need the investment per se, but they they want access to the value add. They want to work with us. Uh, they might want to find a co-founder and so forth and so forth. Right? Okay, understood. And and could you talk to us a little bit more about? How um, I mean, Andla was founded. Andla was founded in Singapore, but I, I sure. would be interested to understand how how your focus has shifted beyond Asia and and just and then focusing specifically on Asia. How how you've um, have you felt that the model has differed as you as you've moved regions? Yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, like I said, we were founded in in Singapore, and and this is where uh, you know we set up our first ever fund here uh, covering Southeast Asia. Uh, and then in line with the global mission, we we set up uh, funds in, in uh, Australia, uh, several ones in Europe. We have East Africa as well out of uh, Kenya. We have a fund covering the US and then quite recently new additions include India uh, as well as uh, Berlin and uh, several more in the pipeline. So in every market we enter, we do modify the model or localize to the extent it needs to be localized while maintaining a few of the principles at the heart of the model. Um, the core value behind this is, uh, you know, founders first, which, uh, you know, we have, a, I, th I think we have like eight values at Antler, but I, you know, I operate with two, which is founders first and re returns to LPs and everything else is so far behind that uh, I don't even remember. Uh, so, so, you know, uh, you know, as long as those uh, values are respected and we find a great person to start building the location, you know, th then we're quite open to localizing as much as uh, we need. There, there's some modifications we made in different markets, like in the US, we have a fully virtual setup right now. Um, in some markets we run, uh, we actually have in, in India, it's effectively a, an accelerator we run. So the first batch, because it happened in the middle of COVID, uh, they, they kind of, adapted by running the first batch exclusively for companies instead of individuals because this the co-founder matching element is quite difficult remote like uh, it's kind of like running a uh, a uh, if, if you tell two people that hey you know or you bring a hundred people together and you say now you know you're gonna you have to get married with someone and then you know you, but you can't meet them in person so you won't know how this what they smell like you know and then it's gonna be tricky right um so, 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 uh, in an adaptation in India was to do it for companies. Um, then, if we go back to kind of uh, Southeast Asia, um, we are now uh, entering our second fund, and uh, as part of that journey, we are actively looking to expand to Indonesia and Vietnam. And when I say expand, I mean having an actual program there. So we've invested into tons of companies from uh, especially Indonesia, but then uh, also a few from Vietnam, um, from, from the Philippines, etc. But these have always been 
kind of through Singapore with the link to the Singapore programs, etc. Um, and what we want to do now is to have several separate programs to capture the potential in these super exciting markets. Um, obviously, you know, cross-border mobility is what it is right now. Um, so that's why it's also, you know, necessary to have boots on the ground, even more so than ever before, because you can't travel in, right? Um, so yeah, that's the that's the main change in this market that we um, just want to expand, have a bigger impact, and have um, have even more localized uh, presence in um, you know predominantly Indonesia and Vietnam, but then of course also we're open to doing deals in other markets as well. Okay, understood. And just out of curiosity, as you move, you know, as you move from um... The, the most mature market within the region, like Singapore being a very, you know, um, very easy to understand from like a governance perspective and, you know, many other sort of reasons for, for why it would be a, um, it's sort of an easy market to invest in companies. How do you think that's going to differ with uh, Indonesia and Vietnam? What, what, what like local challenges are you, are you expecting? Um, yeah, no, great question. I think you, it, it's always about, understanding the nuances of the the market and i think for me it's also about understanding the limits of your own knowledge and then accepting that some of these things you're never going to know yourself you're not going to be the expert so then you need to find people who you you can trust who will then help you uh, with these things right uh, for example, in Indonesia, there's been um, tons of examples that I've come across where uh, there's like cap tables in horrible shape because like someone's uncle put in money at $7 valuation and then they own, you know, 30% of the company and you have to do a lot of that cleanup work uh, for something to really be longer term sustainable and backable. Uh, by not just us, but you know, for us to back someone, we need to see that down the line others can back them. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense, right? So uh, that's one example that we come across quite often. Um, and then it's really just doing your homework around due diligence, around you know, uh, just you know, having having someone local to guide you if. If you don't, if you don't uh, know some of those details yourself, and of course, with with language, um, you know, barriers also comes an increased need to have someone who can uh, not be the translator, but actually understand fluently, and then you know, be on your side in a way. So, so it means you know, you need to have boots on the ground locally. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, to just Go touch a little bit on that. I, I think that Indonesia is one of the most exciting markets at the moment. There's, it seems like every other week, there's a new tech crunch article or tech in Asia article saying that some early stage or seed stage companies receive funding. And it's, it's really exciting to be in that region right now or and to be in that country right now. Um, maybe just to double click a little bit in what, uh, what are some of the indus industries that you're focusing on? Obviously tech is the big one, but maybe, uh, is there uh, any specific verticals within tech that, um, that, that you really enjoy supporting and driving innovation through investment in, in, in Indonesia or more broadly, more, more broadly. Yeah. So, um, I think, uh, it's worth of worth to note in the, like immediately that, uh, you know, inherent in our model is kind of the need to be a generalist because, you know, we do want to back, you know, founders from different fields of life. And, you know, as long as they can build a scalable uh, tech company, or maybe it doesn't always even need to be, you know, tech tech, as long as it can sort of scale fast and be, uh, Kind of VC backable, then um, we don't want to exclude different any kind of sector. So obviously, like vice stuff, etc., we've kind of excluded and uh, and so forth. But um, other than that, we want to we want to back um, 
back, you know, entrepreneurs in different fields of life. For me personally, the most exciting topics are always the ones where the, um, the business model of the company inherently does good, right? So, you know, some of my favorites are like one of our portfolio companies, uh, Sama out of Singapore, which, you know, is there to, their mission is to digitize um, like cross-border migrant worker hiring. Uh, where like the traditional situation uh, in that space is one of like these agents going to different villages and hiring workers to come to say Singapore or the Middle East or and effectively getting these people who are maybe not knowledgeable enough to um, you know assess different contracts etc they're effectively getting them into you know slave-like conditions right and you know if, if your mission is to then through technology fix that um that's obviously at least for me super exciting so so some of these um companies that operate uh in fields where kind of do good but the model also inherently is good business like that's the that's where it uh, needs to be. So in, in general, my view on like impact type topics is that the business model in, inherently that you, that you operate with inherently needs to also, you know, make big good business in a way. Otherwise, otherwise um, things start to get a bit, a bit tricky, right? Um, so, but, but when you find that combination, um, it's super exciting. Uh, and that's, that's kind of like a win, win, win. So, but then like more broadly, if you look at Southeast Asia, um, digitizing different things, uh, you know, there's uh, just so many opportunities um, starting from the, you know, micro businesses to small businesses to, you know, uh, just the way uh, people go about their daily lives. I mean, that's the that's the most exciting part and that's why i by the way personally want to be in this region because you know being from europe it's it's somehow many things feel quite stagnant um while change is a huge constant uh, you know here in in asia and uh, maybe maybe i get bored easily or something but like listen <laughs> Uh, it's a lot more exciting for me personally yeah and even going back to indonesia as well with the with the terms of, or with the companies focusing on you know logistic um advancement in like tier two and tier three cities in terms of commerce it's it's so exciting to see how that innovation is driving forward but it also has the social aspect of people are actually going to be benefiting from this technology adaptation too so it's, it's mm -hmm. really exciting and then um, one of the things that you mentioned as uh, one of Antler's core principles that, that you follow is the founders first. Um, what are some of the key questions that you would ask a founder uh, when considering an investment? Um, mm. It'd be really interesting to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Um, so I guess ultimately, you know, if you believe that, uh, you want to operate with like a founder's first uh, principle. And that, by the way, that value guides us through any trade-off decisions we make. Um, and, and of course, in some degree, it also guides us in, in our investment decisions being somewhat more tilted towards founders rather than the business model. And the way you see that is more like, you know, we would never make an investment because a business model is so exciting, but we have doubts about the founders, but the other way around, it could you know, happen, right? That, you know, we have questions around the business model, but great founders will uh, find a way, right? Um, so I, I, I simply like to assess if um, the founder will... Uh, kind of con convincingly demonstrate both the will and the skill to build this particular business. So, you know, uh, try to understand um, what drives the founder, why are they keen to build this? Because this is so important for like the, 
the long long haul, right? So what happens when the first headwinds come, right? What happens when you have your first, uh, pardon my language, but uh, clusterfuck uh, on the table? Like, what are you, what, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna find a job or are you gonna, you know, keep fighting? So I think that will part is so critical there. Um, and then you have the skill part, like you actually have skills that contribute again to building this particular business, which can be generalist skills, but also more specialized skills. Um, so, so for me, like those two things uh, are, are quite critical. Of course, they're like super macro themes, but maybe on the will side to be even more specific still, it's maybe the top value is simply tenacity and and you know drive to keep going while the going is tough um as maybe the 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 most important thing and also there's something to be said about clarity of communication so you know people often worry very overtly about you know the deck or is my present is do you have a good deck my presentation is in good shape blah 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 right it's not about presentations. It's about, you know, people investing into people and then you as founder telling the other person about your business in a convincing manner, right? That's what it's about, right? And uh, I, you know, the, we've made investments with barely any deck and just uh, looking the founder in the eye and having worked with them and believing in them. Or I, I know friends, at, you know, at super like the most prominent funds in the world who've made you know invested uh, like uh seven million dollar seed round uh with someone not just the back of them whiteboarding not even having a deck like that happens and uh all the times so it's not about the presentation but it's about the clarity of communication around what you plan to do and you understanding your space yeah, I couldn't agree more on that as well as, uh, you know, personally, I think that even if the materials aren't fully there, but if the idea and the founder are very passionate and kind of digging their heels into the ground to be able to really move forward and as well as having some sort of momentum in the business at an early stage or at a very early stage, that's, that's really important to have. Yeah, literally three hours ago, I met one of the one team who's going to pitch to our investment committee tomorrow. And they were there, like, started the session by apologizing for not having all the slides ready and this and that. Like, come on, calm down, relax. It's not about the deck. Let's talk about the business. And then we talked about the business. So uh, that's one of the things where people, like, a, a great deck will never raise money. So, that's, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really interesting um, concept. I think... I think even yeah, even when you look at the um, the data the data around just um, how human beings make decisions, it's something like ninety percent of all decisions are made made via emotions. So you can try and present <laughs> as much data yeah. and as like much my data. decision to join Magnus to to uh, build Antler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So no, so, yeah, so it's, no one's gonna no one's gonna people have got to emotionally feel invested in you before they get convinced on a on a pretty. Um, rational argument i yeah. think so many people forget that i think people forget that both in investor relations as like a, even raising for a fund and also just being a being a founder yeah for sure no, that one i agree with 100 percent, 100 percent. and quickly on the topic of like investor relations how do you um is that something that you really help founders with as well is that is that like a missing piece that you think a lot of um let's say in the context of Southeast Asia, is that, is that a missing part for, for a lot of these um, people that you work with? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not sure it's a missing part, but I mean, it's something where we can tremendously help people. So, you know, I'm, I know partners at pretty much all the VCs in the region and it doesn't make sense for every single founder to know partners at every single VC when they're not building the business. So you have this kind of matching problem where if I can then be the solution, right? I can then be the one who helps and introduces. Like there's a structural advantage 
that someone like us can help founders with. So every time we then have a team entering a fundraise, we go th the, the, through the fundraising strategy with them. Why are you raising money? What are you going to do with it? How much are you raising? What are the terms? And then, then we give them a spreadsheet where, for example, in Southeast Asia, it's uh, 90, 90 different funds. Uh, and then we then talk about, you know, what those funds are looking for. And then we start discussing who do you actually want to raise for? And then we spar them on the materials, uh, the pitch, uh, even though I just said it's not so important, it still makes the founders at least relax a bit. Uh, and then help them get introduced. So, you know, if you imagine not having any of that and just starting to cold reach out to VCs, um, it's a structural advantage that's easy and efficient uh, and effective for us to provide as a kind of service to our portfolio. So it's win-win-win, right? Yeah, and maybe to to talk a little bit as well about uh, the 2020 or this past year in 2020, how you, uh, from my understanding that Antler had a record amount of applications and I think it was somewhere over 60,000 or yep. something along those lines. With all of that data that you receive, um, how do you leverage it to make decisions around themes that you follow or companies that you decide to invest in, maybe at a, at a high level? Yeah, excellent question. I mean, this is something we've invested uh, quite a bit bit into both in terms of money and time, right? So we, we have a, we have an in-house team uh, of five engineers led by a tremendous uh, partner who's leading it uh, to build a platform called Fusion, um, which is our in-house platform to capture and leverage all of the data we have. And this ranges from helping portfolio companies to making investment decisions. Um, and, you know, it's effectively just an information advantage you get on, you know, all the portfolio companies, how fast they grow, where are they at a certain point in time. So let's say we, when we make an investment decision, we've, uh, we can then look at the 300 portfolio companies we've had and soon 600 and then 900 and, you know, uh, when a few years have gone by and we see, okay, where are the, top 10% companies at, you know, week seven of building something, or, you know, how does that differ vertical by vertical? And, you know, just tremendous amount of insights you can derive for investment decisions, but then also um, to help portfolio companies. And then it's, it's also just a way to capture the network, right? And, and try to understand like, connections and how to how to help people so this is something that uh we really want to invest quite a bit into and it's um heated topic among kind of our leadership team uh almost weekly on how we get even more out of it so <laughs> definitely a priority topic for us yeah that will okay well we won't bring that heated conversation into here we'll uh, we'll keep it casual <laughs> yeah ask me again next week next year how much we've accomplished this last year so that's a positive challenge i'd like to take on <laughs> yeah quickly just just um touching more on um expanding more to some of the emerging markets and maybe in the frontier markets within asia so currently as a as a founder that wanting to uh, join antler and let's say they're working in um, Vietnam or Myanmar, Cambodia, or just one of these um, sort of exciting markets in the region. Um, ha like, would you say that's that's feasible in, in many cases? You 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 know you come to you come and do the program in Singapore, and then and then you'd send the entrepreneur back to their home country to then go and um, uh, launch that business there as such, or, or continue. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. For sure. So, so like I said, like in Southeast Asia, I think 10% of our portfolio companies uh, are based in Indonesia. There's a few in Vietnam already. There's uh, Philippines, Malaysia, Thailand. Uh, we're still looking for the first Cambodia deal. Uh, unfortunately, don't have that, but uh, looking forward to it. And, you know, in all of these, it's the same mechanism. Like people were in Singapore, 
then they went back. So we just recently, uh, one of our portfolio companies, Homebase, was the first ever company Y Combinator backed in Vietnam, um, doing tremendously well. And uh, you know th those guys were in Singapore when when they kind of came up with the idea, and then they obviously went to went to uh, Vietnam after the uh, after our program. So. Uh, but of course, like I said before, like we want the boots on the ground in Indonesia and Vietnam to um, have deeper impact. And of course, those will be then hubs for, um, for example, Vietnam can, can look for deals uh, outside as well. Um, but but so, so like, you know, there should be no barriers to applying. So if you're, if someone is listening to this from, one of those countries, then apply today, not tomorrow. Okay, and is it, just out of curiosity, is is what would one requirement be that you're going to need to have your um your holding company in Singapore? Is that is that one thing that's sort of quite non-negotiable? That's correct. Yes. So so we do uh, make our investments into Singapore companies uh, or US. You know, C corps, but uh, Delaware C corps, but I, you know, I didn't, that hasn't been an issue uh, before for us. Okay, and in, in in some of these new countries that you're going to be expanding into, are, are there any particular sectors that you're um, especially excited about that you, you feel a um, a feel untapped in somewhere like Vietnam? Um, yeah, I mean. Fintech is always hot, I think hard to say untapped, uh, but like one of the one of the top sectors I would uh, always be looking at. Um, there's obviously more broadly the digital enablement of the SME sector, if you will, is going to be quite hot. Uh, there's a lot of uh, buzzwords there, um, you know, those types of things and, and then with vietnam i'm especially curious uh to see what can come out because you know obviously the country has uh, a tremendous well of tech talent that what type of things can come out um you know if you look at indonesia it's predominantly domestically oriented businesses because you can build a decacorn just on the back of indonesia given the size um, probably in Vietnam, that's less likely. So you both that plus the fact that you have a, a lot of tech talent, you're going to look at, you know, more international business models as well. So very curious to see uh, what's going to be coming out. But those would probably be my two bigger themes, like fintech more broadly, and then, uh, you know, the whole SME sector and how to, you know, have different digital solutions for it. Okay, and, and, and you said in the beginning that it was, um, was a was a 10 week process that some of these businesses go through. Does that, mm. how, can that um, be extended? And like, how does that journey unfold with, with some of the companies? Yeah. You stay for longer with, with some. That's right. So, so, okay. So, so just to recap the whole structure, I mean, we have our own application and uh, assessment process. So typically to arrive at that uh, hundred people who joined the program, we would have had around 3000 applications. So, you know, it's, it's quite exclusive in that sense, uh, get to top 3%. Then we work with these people for 10 weeks and then we make the investment decisions and, typically back around 30% of the teams uh, that we that joined the program. Now, we quite often give extensions for, let's say, you know, if we want to see the team develop in a certain area, we give them uh, one more month. So like literally tomorrow when, I'm, when we're having a few investment committees, it's a few cases where such an extension was granted. And, and then they pitch again. So again, it goes back to the notion of Founders first and returns for LPs. Um, so, you know, if we believe that these can be great investments and great companies the founders build, then nothing is black and white. So then after the investment, there's a few months of just focusing on building the business. 
after which we then have the demo day. So the last demo day we had was in January. In July, we're gonna have our next demo day where we then, these days it's an online event where the companies pitch for, or kind of basically they are publicly unveiled and then they start their external fundraising journey. Um, and then we help them raise. And it, it's, by the way, it's an interesting thing. Here's a, just to share a, a benefit of COVID. So, you know, traditionally we had the demo day as a live event um, in Singapore. You just have like a concert hall or whatever, maybe 400 people. We, we did it at a theater actually a few times. Now we do the online, the online event and uh, last one we had 1800 people watching it live and then some views after as well. So it was one of these where, you know, we were a bit like, Ooh, we can't do the demo day anymore. And then suddenly we're like, you know, quadrupled or more the, the you know, viewers at the eyeballs on the team. So I don't think we're going to switch back necessarily to the old way uh, anytime soon. Okay. Okay. Understood. And it would be interesting to get your opinion on um, how you see 2021 of unfolding in just the general activity in um, the VCP space and just private deals being done in Southeast Asia. So last year, I believe it was um, 8.6 billion in deals done, only down 2% from 2019. Um, mm. how, do you, how do you think that's going to differ for 2021? What's your sense of um, where, where we are from, uh, in comparison to the past years? Mm. Yeah, no, I think there's going to be a tremendous uh, flurry of activity this year. I mean, I haven't looked at the stats last year was a bit weird in the sense that there was this at least in southeast asia this whatever uh three to six month kind of dry spell um you know i would say april to you know august september where almost nothing happened and then there after that like record amounts of deal making um it's a bit of a bottleneck before that and i think um it's still been more or less a deal making frenzy recently um the big question is i mean the capital is there the main question is are there good companies to back um and that's kind of anyone's guess but i do believe that this year will be um higher than last year Well, we'll have fingers crossed and hopefully there won't be another world pandemic again that will come up. So <laughs> let's, let's get out of this one first. Right, right. Let's, uh, let's walk before we can run sort of situation. So I, I think maybe uh, it's it, for us, it's, it's time to switch gears and, and talk a little bit more about um, specifically, uh, you know, some of your interpersonal ideas and, and thoughts. And one question that we'd like to start asking our guests is, if aliens were to invade Earth and you had to choose one representative for the human race, uh, who would you choose and why? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. No pressure. Uh, this, is, uh, this is very interesting. Um, okay, so I, I feel like the, the, you're going to laugh at this because it's, it's, so, it's so silly, but I'd actually choose my... My dear co-founder, our CEO Magnus, because uh, you know, I've I've never seen anyone who's able to convince people of a mission better than him. Um, so I think he'd uh, he'd totally convince those aliens of whatever <laughs> we need to convince them. What are what are some of the good picks people have thrown in there? Well, it's actually incredible that you said that because we just started asking this question in our, our previous um, interview and uh, the the founder said the same exact thing. Uh, it was actually <laughs> saying his his co-founder, which was wow. incredible. So it, that's, I mean, personally, just, just hearing that, it really goes to show how strong the culture and like vision and mission is at the business, just to know that like you believe that much in, in your partner or in one of your partners like that. So that's, it's, it's really cool to, to hear that. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, cool to yeah. hear too. Yeah. So we'll see on, on later episodes, what, what other people think too. Um, 
maybe uh, something to, to, to go into a little bit is what are some of the habits you install on yourself to stay maybe motivated or self-accountable on a daily basis? Um, yeah, that's, that's always the tough one. Um, I have the bad habit of, uh, you know, not, not resting enough. So that's something I'm trying to work on. Um, because I, I'm a bit one of those uh, people who's always on, and I think it's it's not good for the long term. Um, so you know, really try to focus a bit more on uh, resting, taking walks, and uh, and then being still. So this is you know uh, also one of those where okay have to still be effective um, and efficient when taking a walk. So then that is a learning opportunity. So then, you know, listen to a podcast or, you know, uh, something like that. Um, and then one of the things I've been doing recently, which, uh, which is a good way to, you know, sharpen my mind is I've been playing Fortnite with my two sons. Oh, nice, nice. So that's a, that's a way to like do something completely different. No risk of thinking of business or, yeah uh, or anything anything like that so i think if you have those components where it's like learning resting and and then completely uh taking your mind somewhere else mm -hmm. that helps um yeah well helps. well i i can also attest to the uh the Fortnite side of things where it's always just one more match and next thing you know you end <laughs> up figuring out that you're up till three or four a.m like just trying to get the the w just trying to get the yeah. win so really annoying really yeah annoying. <laughs> yeah I, and it's true too even uh and something that i've even noticed to myself too is even just going and taking a walk it's uh, you're always in one way or another connected to some sort of technology of having you know having the podcast on or something so uh it, it is it is nice to to kind of step away for a minute and just totally turn off um so yeah, yeah. I, I was just telling what someone just uh, actually earlier today uh who's kind of how should I say upper mid-senior in our company mm -hmm. and uh he was uh you know complaining to me about a few things that happened earlier that day that he felt were very inefficient mm -hmm. and just in general like lowered uh inefficiency and, or efficiency and then I pointed out a few things that hey you know in that meeting we still accomplished this and that and I think that relates to a bigger point I have which is um, not necessarily habits but the more senior you get I find that the more important effectiveness becomes instead of efficiency so it's all about outcomes and if you're able to influence something uh, that you really need as an outcome and even if it takes a bit more time or so, it's still good. So, you know, efficiency is a bit like this. It's a bit of a concept for, you know, the factory floor. Um, and it's, of course, good to be efficient. And, and especially when you have huge load. Um, so I, I just wanted to bridge this quickly to habits. So I have one of the things I also want to do is, I have a relatively high degree of um, uh, human interaction um, because I think it generate it creates this community in the workplace which is valuable and over the long term makes people happier at the workplace. And then uh, you're probably gonna it's not gonna be the most efficient thing to you know invest time in that, and especially now in COVID times, difficult. When you have to, if you have to do like Zoom connects and all that, but but still, that that's one of the things also that I personally enjoy, but also I, I do believe it brings a lot of business value as well. Yeah, especially in the long term, just building that culture. I mean, it it is difficult with everything that's virtual to uh, to you know to either host some happy hours to try and get your team together or. You yeah. know, trivia nights or things along these lines that have these like team building aspects, mm -hmm. and no, I and it, it no matter what it is, it, it'll never take away the camaraderie that you create whenever you go to the office every day and you're just like in that environment. And it's it's kind of it's it's really exciting to do that. 
Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and maybe recently or, or in your lifetime, uh, what's, what's been one of the most important books uh, or even podcasts that you've read or listened to that's really either changed your perspective or uh, have, has really made you um, think of things differently? It can be in a business way or it can be in a, in a personal way. Hmm. Fascinating. Uh, this is so the most important book from a venture capital point of view I've read is Venture Deals. So just everyone who wants to be an investor, read that book. But that's not a that's a, not maybe so interesting. Uh, maybe two things from the more personal point of view. Um, one thing that really changed my perspective was uh, some years back uh, when I looked into uh, astrophysics a bit more just trying to like understand the universe uh, a, a bit better and you know the perspective you get it really changes the way you look at the everyday yeah you just realize uh, what the universe is like based on our current understanding well I'm surprised that you didn't say yourself to go meet those aliens then so <laughs> <laughs> I know myself too well Right. I know myself too well. So, uh, <laughs> and then one thing I don't want to say which book it's from, or I can share, but but one of the things which is just amazing. Okay, so I'll, I don't remember the name of the book, but I'm a huge uh, fantasy literature geek. Okay, so I grew up reading fantasy books, and in one book series, there's this one character which I read this maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, that character has this personal like uh, motto that they say that um, better do it than live with the fear of doing it. Meaning if you know you have to do something, do it now instead of, you know, postponing it and feeling anxious about it. So for example, if I need to fire someone and it's obviously going to be uncomfortable, I'm going to do it as soon as I can, rather than, you know, being like, oh, that uncomfortable discussion coming. And that has been a very powerful thing for me, um, made me happier and made me, you know, just, yeah, simply made me happier to operate with that philosophy. Yeah, it's better to just to rip off the bandaid than to slowly peel it off in a, in a way, uh, just to, yeah. yeah. And you feel like from each of those situations too, you grow a little bit stronger in terms of knowing yourself better in terms of making decisions in, in a more effective way. Um, our traditional closing question that we like to ask each of our guests, and it kind of seems like you touched on it right, right there, but um, what would you say has been the most important piece of advice that you've ever been given? Just go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that previous one was a bit of a philosophy to operate with or a minor part of philosophy. But um, I, I think like if you have dreams, just uh, go for it and not be afraid of, like don't be afraid of failing, right? That, that's the biggest thing. Um, and it's also like to, to know yourself a bit. Uh, there's a lot of people who want to be uh, entrepreneurs, for example, because they think it's a way to make money or, or it's a way to this and that. But I, if you don't have dreams and if you don't see yourself in really building something big and if, if you don't feel like almost like internally forced to do that, then don't do it. I mean, nothing wrong with, you're probably going to be happier having a stable job. So it's like, it, it's not it's like everyone should not be an entrepreneur. That's for sure. Right, so, right. you know, in that sense, know yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you, if you want to do it, start it now. So it starts to be a bit, a bit to that other philosophy I mentioned as well. But, you know, then it's nothing that like you should start now, like literally now, not tomorrow now. Yeah. <laughs> so. And that's, that's so true. And, you know, honestly, that's a, that's a great way to, to end this episode as well. And, and Jesse, we really appreciate your time and coming on to the show and sharing a lot about Antler yourself, your perspectives, and uh, just really learning more about the business and 
you know, we're, we're excited to see antler roll out into Indonesia and Vietnam in the near future and, and hopefully into the, some of the other frontier markets as well. Uh, so we're really excited for that. Thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, been a pleasure and uh, really looking forward to that expansion myself as well. Yeah. Wow.